I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Calibre, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Kinder, who is the manager of the CT UK Extended Alpha Fund. Chris, good morning. Good morning. Um, maybe I'll just say one word of introduction on this fund for, for our listeners. This fund does have the ability to go have a long book, but also um, a short book as well. It's not a market neutral or a hedge fund or anything like that, but it does have the ability to take some positions in companies that they like and, and maybe to, to have a, short, a small short book of companies that they, they don't like. So, um, Chris, let's get let's um, get into this then. So, for the past few years, we've seen central bank intervention propping up markets, um, you know, all tides rising, maybe not so hes- um, so helpful for your investment style. Now that has stopped, uh, yet to properly reverse. But um, in, in in short, d- do you think we're in a, a a better market condition for your style of investing? I do. I do at the margin. Yeah, I do, I definitely feel that reflecting on the last sort of the basically the sort of the post COVID period of excess liquidity and the way that that drove valuations in relatively narrow subsectors of the market to, you know, I think what will be considered when we look back on it as excessive levels, that was quite challenging. I think for people just to get their head around uh, just the extreme nature of the moves that often were not supported by historical financial performance or prospective financial performance. And so, yeah, that, that was quite challenging. And I do feel quite encouraged that that wave of liquidity and that excessive, what you might call speculation, is being removed from the market. So it is the one positive side effect of you know what's been going on with interest rates. It is crushing um, specul- speculation. Which is yeah positive. So as I mentioned in introduction, in this fund you do have the ability to to, to be short of, of sectors, uh, stocks that, that you think are out of favour. I, I noticed that you're short industrials, real estate, and financials. What is it about those three sectors? Again, um, without picking on individual stocks that you're short of, that the characteristics that you think are unfavourable in the current market climate. Yeah, I'd be quite just just sort of for context, really, just so people understand. Um, we do shorting on a bottom-up basis, um, yeah. so in and of itself, we don't sort of sit here and go. We have a view on industrials that is cautious, therefore we have these short positions. For us, it's very much about identifying idiosyncratic mispricings within various sectors. So we actually have plenty of exposure on the long side in all of those sectors and exposure on the short side as well. I mean, particularly within industrials, we believe there are still a cohort of shares that still even though they have derated relatively sharply over the last 18 months or so, still have a fair degree of downside risk to the multiples. Uh, and of course, you know, it doesn't take a genius to work out industrials you know, with the economies where they are. There, there will be volatility in earnings that often downside risk certainly isn't priced into a number of these shares. So we tend to do things much more on a bottom-up basis, um, and it's not particularly taking big sectoral views. Yeah, just you, you talked about earnings, and I, I'm very lucky in my job to see lots of different fund managers. And it looks like we're going into one of the biggest telegraphed recessions ever. What I'm, I'm not hearing that, that earnings are getting absolutely smashed yet. That, that doesn't appear to be a factor. Do you think that's coming? 
<laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I would agree. <laughs> it's not. A, it's not. It's not a given. I, I think that's that's my sort of central case, really. That what I'm very con- confident about is that the derating we have seen has protected prospective returns against future downside to earnings to a degree, i.e. any earnings downgrades that may or may not be coming has to a significant degree been captured in in the multiples and indeed the expectations already. So when one looks across portfolios, there are a number of companies where earnings next year are already forecast to be below this year, which which might make sense in certain scenarios. And the multiples on those lowered numbers are also very low. So selectively, there's a, you can make a very powerful case that expectations have already been crushed and multiples on those are very low, implying there is no recovery thereafter. So even if there is a recession, the history, history tells you there is generally a recovery as well. So yeah. there's an argument that we're, getting, that we're seeing sort of both of those things being in the price. Um, yeah, and you know, so it, dep- it depends where you are, doesn't it? It depends which, yeah, there, there will, and my view on all these things is there will always be certain pockets of growth and performance you know there's there's always rain in the desert for want of a better phrase um so you know i think it's our job as stock pickers that even if there is a very difficult world next year we should be able to find things that do relatively better that that is our job and where maybe then and i want to touch on a few stocks in a minute which sort of areas are you seeing those pockets of growth i mean yeah when we mean again we don't sort of thematic investing as i said it is not really our thing we're much more stock pickers but if you i mean the dreadful phrase energy transition (laughs) there is is going to be a huge amount of money spent in this area over the next decade we it is you know incumbent upon us i think to look into that sort of area and find the beneficiaries of that um the theme of onshoring or reshoring or moving production back into developed work, particularly the USA, if that is going to be a very rich vein of spending for many, many years to come. So yeah. are there ways of benefiting from that? Um, you know, the UK is not a great luxury market. You know, is luxury spending going to sort of continue? Yeah, so there's, there will always be interesting things. You know, at the moment, we've got this quite unusual situation where businesses that have historically quite resilient growth rates you know in, in the staple space these things have all lost a ton of value as well so you know that will and you know, the, the growth rate of something like a, a diageo for example may slow we've seen how diageo performs in previous cycles it, it does tend to come through quite well so that there'll always be something we can invest in you know, <laughs> I could go on yeah. for yeah, well, Okay, look, look, so you, you've made your point, and I think it's absolutely well made about your, you're a bottom-up stock picker, so let's get into a few stocks then. Um, one of your top holdings is London Stock Exchange. Uh, I, I believe that actually it's just lost its position as the premium stock exchange or the number one stock exchange to the French. Does that impact your investment or does that give you... A, a thesis you know, on your view on UK stocks or, or t- tell us why it's still a top 10 position. Yeah, no, there's, there's a couple of things in that. Um, and I think that the major problem is the, the name of the company. And they actually call themselves Elseg these days, yeah. which is the London yeah. Stock Exchange Group, uh, which which is interesting for many reasons. But it, it, 
when one looks into it, the London Stock Exchange is, in fact, about 3% of the company's revenues. In that the business has diversified itself. Over, you know, we, we've been long-term holders in this. Um, yeah. And the, the, the theme of the of Elseg Group, if you want a better phrase, um, has been diversification over a 10-year period. So they have systematically built up positions beyond uh, what was just the London Stock Exchange many years ago. So they have businesses in clearing, they have derivatives trading, they have bought in the last two years um, a, a very, very significant financial data business. So it is incredibly well diversified. And I would say this is a classic sort of business that you would expect it to be able to grow pretty much regardless of the macroeconomic conditions um, that, that prevail. Um, so to know, I think the, the fact that I mean, I mean, it is. In, I mean, the, the really interesting question sort of underlying that, so thanks for bringing it up, is just how, you know, how, how sort of insignificant the UK stock market would appear to be becoming on a global stage. I, I believe that at some point, Apple maybe still is. Apple is greater than the entire market cap of the FTSE 100, or even the FTSE All Share. Who knows? So, yeah, so certainly so the, did, the, the it certainly did. It wasn't COVID times yeah. as they had that massive rally. Yeah. yeah I mean, so, it did. So, the, I mean, the, so of course, what you're alluding to is the systematic um, disposal of UK listed stocks by traditional owners. You know, these are the big themes that sort of we are, we in, in the industry are wrestling with at the moment. Yeah. So, what we I, I think we are seeing is a generational ownership shift from the traditional owners of UK companies to a whole new cohort. Um, there is a reason that the UK market is, I guess, I don't know the word, is it suffering from or benefiting from or is experiencing a wall of M&A? You've got this systemic selling matched by systemic um, buying from, from new non-traditional owners, sovereign wealth funds, high net worth individuals, other corporates, you know, global corporates looking to pick up their competitors and rivals in the UK or, or adjacent businesses. Then, of course, private equity, which is obviously in abeyance at the moment. But, you know, these, these have been very quite, ever, over the last couple of years, these have been quite powerful themes, which is leading yeah. to an ever smaller UK stock market. But that, but it is part of this ownership change, which I think is really interesting. And has this fund been a beneficiary of M&A in the last 12 months? You had any takeouts? We have had one, um, surprisingly only one, actually. And uh, yeah, this was the, we were shareholders in Aviva, the industrial software company. Um, and that has been taken over by its largest shareholder. And I think that is absolutely symptomatic of what we're seeing. The share price uh, fell very sharply on, on, you know, this is the point about a derating of quality companies. Uh, we, we didn't actually own it Um We'd been wanting to own it for many, many years. Always felt it was a little bit overvalued for us. Yep. Share price fell down. We were able to invest in it to make a targeted return. And that return obviously came much quicker than we were expecting because of the intervention of Schneider. So, yeah, so that, that was one. But, you know, over the years, we've, we've had a, a sort of a long and illustrious track record of our companies <laughs> being taken over. Um, which, I mean, you know, one is always too minded about it because one hates to lose a business such as Aviva. But if you can recycle the money into similar opportunities or opportunities that offer a com comparable risk reward, then, of course, we'll do it. Okay, so another name that I think has gone into the portfolio recently is SSE. Um, would you tell mm. us a little bit about what you like about that? 
Yeah, SSE, again, a really interesting sort of case study for us, really. I think a quite a good example of what we what we try and do in that we've been watching SSE probably for about 18 months, um, you know, sort of observing basically the opportunity that this business has to deploy capital in quite interesting areas. You know, we when, when, when we look at it, we just, we test and probe their ability to make a return from this CapEx program that they're about to embark on, which is going to be massive. We've made ourselves comfortable that they probably can, and that there is going to be long-term demand for what for the products and services they provide. And for us, therefore, it's just about waiting to invest in it to do the good price. And of course, with the chaos that we saw over the last, of quarter or so with fears around um, windfall taxes perhaps, or, or what are these regulatory mechanisms, mechanisms might be coupled with the big sell-off in, in UK domestic assets and particularly utilities with the rise in bond yields. This created what we felt was a pretty decent entry point to invest in a very interesting business at a very attractive price. Um, and that's exactly what we did. So, you know, we think it offers a really nice balance of resilience growth and of course sensitivity to inflation which um you know is quite hard to get in a high quality way so it, it ticks a lot of boxes um for us sse and we were able to buy it at a really good price when everyone else was selling it so yeah really pleased with that and so far so good you know since then of course we've had this very very you know this is part of our thesis this idea that they have a certain set of assets in their portfolio that to third parties are hugely valuable so they sold uh, part of their their distribution or transmission businesses um, for I think it's 1.9 times the, the regulated asset value to again to I think it was a Canadian pension fund. So you know this idea that this the UK doesn't have interesting assets is is very unusual. And of course, if you applied that valuation to the rest of the group, you'd get a much higher share price. So yeah, it ticks a lot of boxes actually. SSE. So maybe the Canadian Canadian pension fund will do that for you and. Uh, uh, that would be a nice result. So, <laughs> well, if, if the if the rest of the market were willing to pay what the Canadians are paying, then yeah, we wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> Which again, it, and that's the thing, Darius. I mean, when when these bids happen, they don't come in at a ten percent premium. They're 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 fifty percent higher. <laughs> you know? yeah. This is this is a sort of the you know the the the, the listed the prices on the screen are not close to the real industrial values of these businesses. So, so maybe. Then in sort of close, and I know you're a stock guy rather than a macro guy, um, but you must have to think about 2023 and the, the rate environment and what that means for stocks and discount rates and, um, and how you value companies and all that sort of thing. So maybe if you just, if we could close with some, some thoughts on the outlook for 2023, I think we've already touched on some of it, which is, you know, UK stock market unlike by traditional investors, but maybe liked by different types of investors. Um, what, what, what's your thinking there? And are there any areas from a sector basis or, and feel free to not mention stocks that you're short of. I appreciate that's, that's um, not possible, but describe maybe some of the characteristics of a stock that you're short of. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. Funnily enough at the moment, I mean, this partly answers the question. We, the risk of sounding naive, we are feeling a lot more constructive about the longs and the shorts. Um, in that, that's a nice year, way to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, again, you know, we we sort of play what's in front of us. That, that without yeah. oversimplifying it, um, we feel this year we've had 
very significant gains in the short book, i.e. the shorts have fallen very severely. Um, and our mission over the last sort of couple of well, months or so, ever since, to be honest, ever since the change of government. And yeah, there's a lot happened in the last six weeks, since, <laughs> which is which is better, which is more conducive to risk taking on the positive side. And so we have been reducing the short book, i.e. taking profit, where we've made, you know, very decent gains in a very short space of time. And the portfolio on the long side, and so the, so the overall direction of the portfolio has been pivoting at the margin to UK domestics, which became extremely oversold um, during, I guess, the, <laughs> the quasi Quartang Liz Truss, the short era of those two. Um, you know, there was effectively capitulation selling in the UK risk at that point. So what we are looking for in UK is winners. You know, and this is not particularly us saying we believe the UK is suddenly a great place to invest or there's a sort of a step change in the UK economic outlook, although it's obviously better as interest rates come down, which is what's happening. It is much more, can we find, rain in the desert is my favorite theme for the UK, businesses that are able, that have competitive advantages, that are able to take advantage of the weakness of their competition, take market share and emerge from this crisis relatively stronger. Po I mean, probably the poster child for that, I don't know if you want to talk about stocks, but you know, so it's something like a whip bread. It is so clear that the competitive environment in which they are operating, it, the, the competitors are falling by the wayside at a faster rate than ever before. Whitbread is well capitalized, the lowest cost operator, they have an opportunity to move forward. You're already seeing this in the, in the way that the, the, rev part, the, 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 the room pricing is improving and they have an, an opportunity to, to expand their estate as others are retrenching. Something like that is really interesting to me. A good, you know, they've got it's a well-financed business with a strong proposition, good business model, quite interesting time for them to move forward. So, so things that can do relatively better in a tough environment. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say balance sheet, you, you touched on it there. I think balance sheet is going to be an important factor in 2023 with higher rates than, than, than have been in the marketplace for the last 15 years. Yes. You, I don't think you get overrewarded for financial risk uh, next year. So, yeah, strong just take advantage of weak competition moving forward. The other, the other thing that I'm quite interested in is um, kind of what's going to happen to sort of what you might call long duration assets or bond proxies. I think at the margin, I probably am in the camp that the dollar has peaked, inflation has peaked, interest rate expectations has peaked. And as these rates come down, you might start to see multiple expansion in long duration asset. So it might be a time to revisit defensive growth. That's been quite a tough space over the last year or so, having been very, very strong for a number of years. Yeah. Um, so I think if you can buy a solid defensive growth company at multiples below the 10-year average, which you currently can, you might see the opportunity to, for the, both those earnings to grow in what remains a tough environment, but also a little bit of multiple expansion as well. And then you're not taking too much risk there because you're buying sound companies fundamentally. Yeah. So quite that as a theme is, is quite interesting to me. Chris, thank you so much for your time. That's been a really interesting whistle-stop through uh, UK equities, um, why they're liked or disliked, who's buying them, uh, and some interesting stocks and 
areas to look at for 2023. So listen, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please do like and subscribe. And if you'd like further information on the CT UK Extended Alpha Fund, please do visit fundcaliber.com. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only.